This is the Evangelical Church of Bermuda's weekly sermon podcast. Thank you for joining us. Here is this week's sermon. Sean, shall we look to our Heavenly Father in prayer? Our Lord and our God, it's such a privilege, Heavenly Father, to come into your house this morning to worship you. Father, truly you are the way maker, Heavenly Father. We're so grateful for it, Heavenly Father. We thank you, Lord. Um, Father, for this past week, Heavenly Father, some of us have had challenging weeks, Lord, and um, others have had a good week, Heavenly Father. So I pray, Father, for this new week that you've given us, um, Lord, going forward, Father, that we'd look to you. Father, we're so grateful for all that you do for us, Heavenly Father. Most of all, we're grateful for our salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, although we mess up again and again and again and again, Lord, you still forgive us. You reach out to us, you put us around your neck, and you carry us back in. And so, Father, we're so grateful for that. And Lord, I pray, Lord, for anyone here that has not received your mercy and your grace, Lord, by accepting you as your Lord and Savior. Heavenly Father, I pray today might be the day, Lord, that they give the heart to you, Heavenly Father, and experience that freedom from the sin, Heavenly Father, and know, Heavenly Father, that they're redeemed in you. So, Father, I ask for that today. Lord, I pray for Pastor Paul as he brings your word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, Heavenly Father, that we might be receptive to, Lord, what you want to teach us. Lord, we ask for that today. We pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit, Heavenly Father, that works within us. Lord, go before us. And Father, I pray for those in our assembly, Lord, that are afflicted with with sickness, Heavenly Father, um, whatever it might be, Lord, some that are even sitting here today, quietly bearing this burden. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with them. Heavenly Father, may they feel your presence uh, around them, Heavenly Father, knowing, Lord, that you're in control. You know all things, Heavenly Father, and that um, there's nothing that you don't know. So I pray, Father, that you put this burden in your hands, put it at your feet, Heavenly Father, and allow you to bear it for them. So, Father, go before them. We thank you, Lord. We love you, and we worship you today. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so this is a long scripture passage. It probably would take me 12 minutes to read it to you. All right, so that's a big chunk of time. So, uh, so I'm going to encourage you. That, that's the passage right there on the screen, okay? Uh, so it's, it's the, you know, a, a good chunk of chapter 30, the end of chapter 30, and then all of chapter 31. So I would encourage you on this rainy day uh, to, uh, to read it at your own le- leisure, and because um, and I'm only going to touch on just a few things as, as, we, as we go through this this morning. In, in seven years, uh, Jacob has, has had 11 sons and one daughter with, with two wives and and their two servants, four women. So Jacob now has worked off his debt to Uncle Laban of 14 years for, for his brides. And because uh, Jacob got duped, if you remember, an extra seven years of labor because of Laban's trickery, which was a very fitting taste of his own medicine. Uh, but with the birth of Joseph to his favorite wife, Rachel, uh, and his extra seven years of labor being done, Jacob is now homesick. We're going to look at four things today. Our temptation, God's narrative versus our narrative, 
right move, wrong way, and pride with praise. Okay, those are the points that we'll, that we'll hang the text off of this morning. So let's get started with our temptation. So Jacob asks Laban to leave. All right, now that his 14 years is done of service to Laban. And Laban stalls. And here's the reason why. Uh, verse, verses 27 and 28 of chapter 30. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by, di- by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages, and I will give it. So, so Laban is looking at Jacob as, as a lucky rabbit's foot. So, so he refuses to give him his blessing to leave or, or any parting gift to go if he, if he, on his journey if he decides to go. Laban believes he has poor Jacob over a barrel again. He, he, has, he doesn't have any more daughters to give, but he knows Jacob has a huge family and has no means to care for them, so he enters into negotiations with him where he hopes to come out again a winner like last time. Uh, Jacob feels this is unfair for him to, to, to keep working uh, for Laban, and, and he wants some kind of bonus because of how his work, how his presence had, has made Uncle Laban prosper. Reluctant Laban says to this in verse 31, what shall I give you? It seems that Laban is implying that Jacob agreed to 14 years of service for his two daughters, so he technically owes Jacob nothing. That's that's what he's really saying with that, what shall I give you? I've given what, what you asked for already. So Jacob asks for nothing except an agreement that if he stays and works for Laban, that he can have all the multicolored sheep and goats that are born from this day forward. Now, because spotted sheep and goats were the rarity, Laban quickly agrees to this, and then, just to make sure he has the upper hand, he takes out all of the spotted among the flock and sends them with his sons about a three-day journey away from Jacob so that they can't mate with the solid-colored sheep and goats. Laban is probably laughing himself over this. Just, just, oh, he's just probably thinking, I'm so clever. Jacob is an idiot. Now, you have to ask the question, why would Jacob propose such an agreement? If you think this was a good agreement, like I have some property I'd like to sell you, uh, Oceanside, (laughs) in Montana. The answer seems to be that the trickster Jacob 
is relying on his tricks again. Apparently, Jacob knew of this little trick that if you put objects of, of vivid contrast in front of mating livestock, they'll produce speckled offspring. There's only one problem. This is junk science, okay? This, you remember the mandrakes, right? This, this is just like the mandrakes that, that Rachel thought would get her pregnant, right? If, if Jacob lived in today's world, this is the kind of garbage he would have found on YouTube, okay? Why would Jacob resort to this kind of deception yet again? Well, because this is his biggest temptation and the most difficult thing to resist for him, using trickery to get what he wants. That's his temptation. What's your biggest temptation? It's, it's the thing that you think will satisfy you or get you ahead or numb your pain. When you get desperate, it's what you resort to instead of the Lord. Right? J Jacob could have just left and trusted the Lord to get him and his large family back to Canaan. But the temptation is strong for this trickster to try to pull one over on Laban like he did to him. You see, we think we are self-sufficient, and sometimes we need a little help from God. That's, that's, that's the mindset we have. Like, yeah, I, I can handle everything, but once in a while, yeah, I might need to call nine, the prayer 911. The truth is that we are, are dependent and needy. We don't need a God to advise us, but we need a God to father us. The, the Apostle John's words are, are very fitting at the end of his, his first letter in 1 John. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. What, what a good reminder. I, I am like a little child in need of my father. And sometimes I don't realize that, so I substitute him and, and by, by making, going to something that I think is a, is a good substitute, but will never really ever come close. Let's go to point number two. God's narrative versus our narrative. Now here, here's the thing with, with all all this, unlike the mandrakes, this seemed to have worked. This seems to have worked. Verse 39 of chapter 30. The flocks bred in front of the sticks. These are the sticks that Jacob sort of peeled some of the bark off so that they looked kind of striped, you know, the contrast. And so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled, and spotted. 
what, what is going on here? Right? I thought this was junk science, right? Well, well here, here's the thing. Jacob thought it was his clever breeding tactic that was working, but God is really the one making this happen. Look at, look at chapter 31, verses 11 and 12. Then the angel of God said to me, that's Jacob saying this, in, a, in, the, in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. You see, it's, it's implied that God is the one causing the outcome of the multicolored offspring. It's, it's clear that Jacob was not trusting God, but some, some mythical breeding methods, which, which is why God reveals himself again to Jacob in this way, just to clear it up in his mind. So, so why would God bless Jacob for continuing to trust in his schemes? Right? Why, why would he do that? Like, if I was God, I'd be like, yeah, see if that works, Jacob. Well, he does it because he's a God of grace. He's a God of grace. We, we really learn that God is a God of grace through the life of Jacob. You know, Abraham may have taught us the importance of faith, but Jacob's life teaches us the reality of grace. Does, does Jacob deserve to be blessed for trusting in his schemes? No. No. But God graciously blesses Jacob and lets him know that it was not his striped sticks that caused the spots, but his good grace. You know, we, we too rely on things over and above the Lord. The Lord is so gracious when he allows us to prosper or succeed, even when we don't have him in our view. We would be wise to remember Solomon's proverb, or, or psalm, the psalm that he wrote, Psalm 127. Verse 1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. See, we need to have a view of God in all that we do because He is the one who is ruling and overruling. We need to remember that, that God is writing our story, ultimately. And it's much better than anything we could conjure up in our own strength. And when we... When we do that, we will turn to the author of life more and more and more. And this is what leads us into a praying life, right? a, a life walking closely with God, knowing he's right there. 
Let's look at the third point. Right move, wrong way. So Jacob ends up getting rich off of Laban during the next six years. Right? So 20 years in total with, with Laban. And he sees that Laban is not happy. And he hears that Laban's sons are ticked off because their inheritance is dwindling. So Jacob decides to leave secretly during sheep shearing season. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> you didn't do so well. He does this because it's, it's a busy time. He, he knows Laban is going to be preoccupied with his sons and, and probably will not notice for some time, buying him some time. Now, now why does Jacob do this deceptive departure? Well, because listen to what the Lord told him. Okay, in verse 3 of chapter 31. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So this is what God said to Jacob. Now look how Jacob reiterates this last part of this message from the Lord to, to his two wives. Right? Picking up, picking up the Lord's words in verse 13. He's out in the field with Rachel and Leah. He's explaining what the Lord has said. And this is what he's saying the Lord said. I am the God of Bethel. Verse 13. I am the God of Bethel. Where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise. Go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. So, did you notice what Jacob left out when he explained it to Rachel and Leah? I will be with you. That's what God said. But he doesn't reiterate that. He's left it out. He's forgotten. Jacob latches on to the command of God, but forgets the promise that goes with it. So that's why he does not tell Laban he's leaving in honesty and integrity, but instead orchestrates a covert departure in fear of his uncle and his brother-in-laws. Don't we do that too, though? Don't we do that too? How, how often... As followers of Jesus, do we forget his promises? Right? We, we too have the promise of his presence, like Jacob. We have the promise of his listening ear when we call. We have the promise of his power to do what we are privileged to do for him. The basis of that promise to us, his presence, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, when we rest in Christ, 
as the king over our lives. The good news says that even though we are more sinful than we ever thought possible, we are more loved than we could ever imagine. We tend to rest in our abilities to carry out what God tells us to do, but that was never his intention. His intention is us for, to re- for, for us to rest in him and trust in him to work through us to be obedient to him. This is probably one of the hardest lessons to learn as a believer, but God gives grace. God gives grace as we continue to even strive in our own strength to learn that his power is made perfect in weakness. Do you you feel inadequate to obey God? To maybe make the next step he wants you to make? That's a great place to be. That's a wonderful place to be. Trust in, in the promise of his presence and power and make that step without the schemes. Our fourth point is pride with praise. It takes Laban about three days to realize that Jacob has fled. And he goes after him with his kinsmen. But Laban encounters God in a dream. Verse 24. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So we, we know that Laban was up to no good on this pursuit. He, he catches Jacob and confronts him on his secret departure and accuses him of stealing his household gods, right? his idols. Back in verse 19, we learned that Rachel stole her father's gods We don't know why, and Jacob doesn't know at all. He doesn't, he's clueless to what's, what, what his wife has done. So Jacob, in great confidence, invites Laban to search for his gods and to kill anyone who's found with them. Rachel tricks her father and hides the goods by sitting on them. Laban's gods have been reduced to stools to be sat on. How very fitting. When Laban tells Jacob about the dream from the Lord not to harm him and sees that his idols have not turned up amongst Jacob's people, he gets very brave. Jacob gets very brave. We're told in verse 36 that Jacob became angry and berated Laban. And at the end of his scolding to Laban regarding the way he was treated, he says in verse 42, If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, 
Surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. If, if you notice, Jacob, this is, this is the longest speech that Jacob makes in the Bible. That's just the, that's just the end of it. And if you read that speech, you'll, you'll notice that there's no repentance from Jacob for his actions. Jacob could have repented before God and Laban for fleeing and, and causing all this stress upon his family with this hasty exit. Instead, he, he sticks out his chest and lets Laban have it and gives God some credit at the end. Right? It's, it's pride and praise. And they don't really go together. They don't really go together. And it doesn't really affect Laban all that much because of it. See, boasting is the natural way of the world. When we get an occasion to boast, we'll most likely do it. Repentance is the way of the Christian. When it comes around, the opportunity, we sometimes don't like to take it. We oftentimes don't like to take it. Repentance is hard because it involves humiliation. We, we have to admit our sins and turn away from them toward God. And, and if, if we don't do that, we remain a divided self. Let me, let me, let me explain what I mean. If, if you fail to repent, you are telling yourself that your wrong actions or words are okay. When the first humans sinned, they ended up hiding from God and each other. They were not walking with God any longer. God's question of, where are you, was, was one of grace to show this, this division of self. You don't hide from me. I, I, I know you. you. You walk with me. See, we, we do this all the time. When, when as an example, when, when you gossip, and then you tell that person not to tell anyone, you, you are leaving a division within yourself. You, you believe God doesn't want you to gossip, but, but, you, but you also believe it's okay because you put a provision on it. Well, as long as, I, as long as I say, well, just don't tell anybody else. We think, oh, that makes it okay then. What, what are you doing? You're dividing. You're dividing yourself. You're saying, I know what God believes, but this is what I'm going to do. There's a division. This is what has happened to Jacob. He, he's showing an inflated sense of self. I mean, did he really do all this? It wasn't his, his striped sticks. 
It wasn't because he left at the opportune time. This is all God. He's showing this inflated sense of self as he berates Laman and not admitting to any of his wrong actions while at the same time giving credit to God who's shown him nothing but grace. He's, He's a divided man. God's not done with them yet, though. You know, we're so good at spotting the splinter in someone else's eye while ignoring the plank in our own. When we practice repentance, we lower ourselves down to where we really are, where where God meets us. And where God even loves us. He can can love you there because of what Jesus did for us. Jesus had no reason for repentance in his perfection. Yet, Yet he lowered himself to where we truly are by taking our sin as his very own and offering us his true elevated status. You see, when when we lower ourselves down into repentance, we are lowering, lowering ourselves like Jesus did for us. And like Jesus, when we do that, we will also experience resurrection. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Jacob shows us that we are never out of the reach of God's grace and the power of his resurrection. Repent and believe in the gospel. And keep doing that until you're all the way home. Let's pray. Father, the the life of Jacob is so encouraging to us because it highlights in brightness, in vivid color, your grace to us. Would you help us to live in that reality? Help us not to live in some false elevated status, but help us to live lives that are of continual repentance, turning toward you time and time again, knowing your grace is sufficient and your power is made perfect in weakness. That's a hard reality to swallow. But through the power of your Spirit, you can accomplish that in our lives. For the glory of Jesus, in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. 
For more information, check out our website at ecb.bm. Join us again next week for our next podcast.